0: Maybe you like food, maybe it's gaming, or perhaps it's social media. The truth is, we all have our addictive tendencies, and on today's episode, we'll be exploring addiction, how it develops, why it develops, and how to overcome it. We'll be looking at addiction in a general sense, but for the sake of this podcast and its technology focus, we'll mainly be focusing on addiction relating to social media, while briefly touching on some other areas, such as addiction to gambling and even crypto. To do this we are joined by a professor of psychiatry and the host of the how can i help podcast from iheartradio dr gail salts in this episode we discuss what the difference is between a compulsive behavior and a substance addiction and the impact on our brains what constitutes an addiction and what you can do if you feel like you have an addiction dr salts also explains why most addicts don't go to psychiatrists because of their addiction but because of the negative consequences produced by these addictions, such as depression or anxiety. In addition, we also discuss why buying and checking crypto has the potential to be an addictive compulsive behavior. On top of that, we go into how willpower is like a muscle that you must exercise and make stronger, but it takes a lot more than willpower to overcome addiction. And finally, Dr. Saltz shares how our neurons are like roads, and when we start an addictive habit that rewards us with dopamine, like winning when gambling, this pathway is small like a country road. But as the habit is repeated this road becomes larger like a highway and becomes an easier road for your brain to take now before we get into this episode i just want to say a big thank you to those of you who have left a review for the show and if you're a long time listener or even a new listener and you want to show your love or appreciation for the show and leaving a review is something you probably won't do as much as we would love it if you did that's okay and there are many other ways you can make a difference like telling a friend or putting out a social media post of this episode or any other episode you've enjoyed. And if this is an episode that you have enjoyed, then here are a few more from our past catalog of episodes I think you will really enjoy as well. The rise of TikTok, what are the components of a successful social media platform? Bitcoin FOMO, how our psychology drives the price of Bitcoin and brain plasticity, how technology, environments and language change our brains. With that being said, here we have today's episode. Enjoy. My name is Sam Breitgeer, and you're listening to Brains Spike Back, your podcast exploring the intersection between psychology and technology.
1: I am a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital and the Weill Cornell School of Medicine. I'm also a psychoanalyst with the New York Psychoanalytic Institute. I am an author and I am a podcast host. My podcast is called How Can I Help? And I take listener questions about mental health, relationships, parenting, um, pretty much anything in the whole arena of uh, psychology, psychiatry. And I answer them with keeping their anonymity, of course. Um, But uh, it was part of Uh, early in the COVID pandemic when I was getting so many questions about mental health. And of course, as I'm sure all that you and your listeners are aware that, you know, we have now a pandemic of mental health issues as a result of the COVID pandemic. And I was looking for a vehicle to try to inform, you know, larger groups of people.
0: I had a, a preconceived idea of like what I wanted to talk about when i put a a pitch out or a request out for a guest and actually after looking at your your show i was inspired you have so many really interesting topics and there was one particularly that stood out for me and it was talking about addiction and you mentioned about addiction of instagram and we're going to go and among other things and we're going to get into that but really before we do i want to know what constitutes as an addiction
1: so uh the word addiction gets used differently by I'd say the lay public than it does by mental health professionals or psychiatrists or in the DSM-5. Addiction by definition is really a physiologic process, meaning there has been some sort of chemical, neurochemical change that has occurred as a result of using a substance, taking a substance, and you've developed what's called a tolerance, meaning that your neurotransmitters or various other receptors in the body have become accustomed to the drug that you've taken, and they need more of that drug to have the same effect that initially less of it provided, Tolerance is a key component of addiction. And therefore, because you develop that tolerance when you try to stop or lower the amount of the substance, you experience withdrawal, and withdrawal is a physiologic as well as psychological experience for, you know, it usually includes things like feeling jittery, flu-like, having shifts in blood pressure and pulse, feeling sweaty and nauseous and all around pretty terrible. Um, And it is not as far as a DSM-5 or psychiatrist is concerned, the exact same thing as a behavior that one might engage in over and over again that gives one a good feeling, a good feeling like might even feel like taking a drug good feeling, Um, And that stopping it is difficult, very difficult, and that you may develop a tolerance in the sense that you might try to do more and more of that behavior to get the same good feeling. Um, It is, you know, people do talk about sexual addictions or um, gambling addictions, and they are addictions in the lay sense that you feel like you need to keep doing it and you can't stop. But they're not the physiologic, if you stop gambling, you stop having sex, even when you're an addict, you may psychologically feel terrible, but you will not be having the physiologic you know, response of tolerance and withdrawal and those physical feelings that you would with a, with a drug. So it's a little murky. Mm-hmm. I, I wish, you know, it's, it, it makes it murky. But when we're talking about behaviors, I think it's more helpful to talk about just that compulsive behavior. And don't get me wrong, compulsive behaviors can be every bit as destructive to your life. And that's kind of a key diagnostic component as an addiction can, uh, to a substance. They they can, you know, you could be involved with a compulsive behavior that is really damaging to your health, damaging to your relationships, um, could be damaging to you financially, all in the same way that a drug addiction or alcohol addiction could be, but it is not exactly the same as of
0: Okay. Yeah, that, that really helps uh, clarify things um, because when we talk about like addiction to social media, I really find it interesting to like run it along the parallel almost of like it being a drug. So I think that like helps maybe me understand it a little better or puts it into a context that I understand a little bit better I would personally say that I don't have an issue with social media as far as I'm aware but that's probably going to be hopefully and potentially solved or clarified with like my next question which is how can our listeners recognize if they are addicted to social media so
1: yes I would say social media quote addiction I would I would keep it in quotes Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it means a compulsive need to keep engaging with social media that and these were the questions that really should ask yourself you know are you so preoccupied with either planning to look at social media or planning to post or planning whatever the planning of all of the social media and the doing of all the social media, are, do you would you describe yourself as particularly preoccupied? Are you planning or looking in such a way with such frequency that it is negatively affecting one or more arenas of your life? Like um, you're doing so much of it that whoever you're in a relationship with at home is really annoyed. Like, you know, you you look glued to your phone and that's what's most important. That's what you're doing, or you're doing it at work. Um, I know many people are working from home now maybe people aren't going to see you doing it. Um, But basically you're not being as productive as you would normally be at work because you're spending so much time with your social media. Um, is it negatively affecting your finances? Are you not doing things that, you know, would help you make money, basically, you know, make you know, be, be work-related um, because you're doing social media? Or are you alternatively spending, and that, you know, this can be a thing that people do, also related to, to social media spending a lot of money and or time, time is money, um, related to social media. Are you secretive about how much time, like maybe your partner's saying, my gosh, like I, come on, you know, I can't have a conversation with you. You're you're always on the phone so much, or like we're sitting at a restaurant and you're you're social mediaing while we're, we're out to dinner. And so you're sort of like trying to like secretively slip it in, you know, I, I gotta go to the bathroom and then you're whipping out your phone while you're in the bathroom so that you can get it in mm-hmm. and have you, and this is probably most importantly, in some ways, are you aware it's too much and maybe you've tried to cut back or stop and maybe you are able to do it for a little while, but you really creep right back in or maybe you really can't stop at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Now now that you've said that, um, I can honestly say, yeah, I'm pretty sure I don't have a social media addiction. <laughs> I've never really um, yeah, exhibited those sorts of things. However, one thing has come to mind and it, it's not really too alarming because it's not in that direction necessarily, but I'd be really interested to know if you have spoken with or anyone's approached you, or you've had any interaction, really, with with regards to cryptocurrency. And I asked that, and I'll, I'll give you the the reason why is because um have, for a long time I've been into cryptocurrency, and um I think maybe about a year ago, maybe like seven months ago, I used to say to my girlfriend like, oh no, I've lost this much money, or I've like gained this. Or I'd talk to her about it. She wasn't that interested, but then. Uh, she got a little bit curious because she wants to buy some then she got more into it and now she's fully into it like myself and the thing is is we have like these games where we will set a, bar- a certain price we want to buy certain stuff at and we'll choose other things it's almost like gambling in a way like picking your horses correct uh, so we have these games almost like where we pick a coin or we have this little little competition and we keep it in check like i'm quite um i would like to consider myself controlled and i, I do a good job of saying the same term like no. Don't don't put more don't put money in, don't put more than you're willing to lose. Don't put more than you can afford to lose. It's just it is gambling. It mm-hmm. is a game, but it is gambling and this mm-hmm. is and not only that, but it taps into something very primitive within us where we have this uh, I don't know instinct of we see money going up or down and we freak out and it really taps into something. So you have to be really in control not to let it get a hold of you. Mm-hmm. So that is the long version of what I'm trying to ask here. Like have you seen more people? Um, come to you for this because I definitely say my girlfriend and I we don't really have an issue with social media but what could develop to be more of an issue or along the lines of what you talked about like checking our accounts like she does that all the time I'm like are you checking are you checking Binance are you checking this and mm-hmm. she'll be like no and I know she is so I'm just right. curious to know if you've encountered that recently
1: so I would say specifically people are not coming to me saying I'm concerned I have a cryptocurrency addiction or I'm compulsive or, you know, but let me explain probably why that's the case. People also don't tend to come to psychiatrists to say they have a gambling addiction of any sort. Um, It's And the reason is basically um, people who have compulsive behaviors like this generally don't want to be stopped. Um, They feel, they get a certain High, a good feeling after the, as you just said, checking, right? Mm-hmm. And that good feeling is a positive reinforcer for the behavior and they don't want to give that up. They, you know, that, that's, that's pleasurable and the pleasurable feeling keeps the behavior reinforced and the, and, the, and the not doing it would make them feel not good, certainly at least in the moment, if not longer. So generally, people do not come to see a mental health professional about frankly any addictions until, you know, as they say, they've hit rock bottom, you know, until things are so terrible um, and so, you know, destroyed in their lives that they feel maybe they don't have any other choice, or they've even been mandated to do that by people in their family. Um, or by courts. Uh, so it's not an, it's not, and the words telling you no is not a surprise. People don't tend to come in for those sorts of problems because they don't, people come to the psychiatrist when they want something to stop, something that doesn't feel good, like depression or anxiety. Now, some of these behaviors, even like the involvement with cryptocurrency that you described, can be driven. My underlying depression and anxiety. And this has actually been like a compulsive behavior developed as, a, as a, an attempt to relieve themselves of those feelings. I feel anxious a lot, or I feel down a lot. When I do this checking, I feel good. Ah, that's a relief. And of course, without tra- treating the underlying depression or anxiety, you know, this behavior isn't likely to be easy to stop. So maybe if they do land in my office for depression or anxiety, and we uncover that this is something that's also going on, then treating them, you know, I, I might see that behavior and I would treat them for the depression and the anxiety. And we would come to understand that to some degree the compulsive checking is, you know, uh, driven somewhat by those mood states. Or alternatively, and then this is another thing I advise people to think about where does compulsive checking come from? So, it could be like an ongoing mood issue or it could be you stumbled into it as just like you're saying like, like, oh, this seems like kind of a fun place to put my money and like, this is fun. But then maybe it turns out you're a person who, when I say by nature, I mean, biologically speaking, has a tendency to be maybe more obsessive, more perfectionistic um, and, and, you know, has maybe some obsessive compulsive disorder that runs in your family or obsessiveness that runs in your family, those people are more likely to sort of accidentally go down the rabbit hole of being a checker and um, and this kind of thing or a propensity to addiction if addiction runs in your family, the propensity to, to walk down this road. And so knowing something about that, about yourself, about your family history is really helpful. You know, there are people who can go to Las Vegas and gamble and do what you say you're doing. You know, uh, oh, like I'm going to play some blackjack. I'm going to hit some slots. I put aside this much money for my, quote, entertainment. Gambling is entertaining for me. And then they really have no problem stopping there. Like, that's the end. And they go, oh, I'll come back next year. I'll do this because it's like, I spent the amount of money I would spend to see, you know, this, these shows or this restaurants and whatever. And that's fun for me. But as you know, there are a lot of people who go and then they they can't stop. They've lost. And then they figure out how to get more money so they can keep going. And then they end up in big trouble. So similarly with cryptocurrency, I would agree with you. It has the potential to be a compulsive behavior or an addictive type of behavior, but it isn't going to be for everybody. Um, it, and, and so I, I can't just say it will always. I mean, there are people can use social media in a reasonable way; they enjoy it, they they don't get stuck. And similarly with cryptocurrency, I would say to you, you know, if you're like, I know I'm going to put this much money in, it's not going to harm me. I find it enjoyable. It's fun. If I lose it, okay. Um, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta have to find more to put it in. And then the question is, how much are you checking? So if your girlfriend is like secretively checking a lot, and it's causing distress or constant peaks of excitement, but in between those peaks of excitement, feeling low or feeling anxious. And then she really if she breaks it down she's checking again so she can get rid of that feeling so she can have the excited feeling again then that would be like a little concerning you know because it would that's what keeps you locked in too much
0: hopefully you're enjoying the show and if you are make sure you subscribe and never miss an episode you can find us on all your usual podcast sites Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and a whole lot more, including YouTube. And we want to hear what you think, so be sure to leave us a review. Just search Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. I'm I'm really happy to ask you that question because that is that's so insightful. And what you said about the different types of people like that go to Vegas. I mean, yeah, it's really true. And also I found it very reassuring because I myself have gone to Vegas a couple of times and I have been fine to just say, I'm just going to go bet this many dollars. Or I'm going to go play this much many dollars. And then once I run out, I'm done. And it's the same. I personally love, um, I know this might sound crazy, but I love UFC. It's one of my favorite sports to watch. And I, uh, I love putting uh, bets uh, on that, but I yeah. always have a limit. I'll just say like, you know what? I'm going to put this many dollars on. And yeah. then once it's done, it's done. So don't uh, you've, you've made me feel very comfortable that I'm fortunate enough to be one of those people that has those those limits. Um, how much do you think that comes down to parenting as well? I know mm-hmm. that that's mm-hmm. going to be a huge rabbit hole that we can go down. Right. Um, but you mentioned a lot about genetics and like family mm-hmm. history, mm-hmm. so clearly that is a big predictor. But as well, I would say that um, I, I don't think I have a strong sense of addiction in my family, but on top of that, I think my parents did. A pretty good job, I guess, of teaching me self-discipline. I think mm-hmm. so. Like, I'd be interested mm-hmm. to know how much you think that plays a role.
1: Well, again, these are like mixtures of nature and nurture. Meaning, um, if you're if you grew up in a home where there's a lot of impulsive behavior, where uh, nobody had a lot of ability or exercised a lot of ability to 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 have frustration tolerance to have delayed gratification. Um, these are things that don't necessarily set you up well to avoid uh, behavioral addictions um, because of two different issues and it's hard to separate out. Biologically, these sorts of character traits may have you know some genetic component. I, not like you get a gene, you know what I'm saying? But, but the, that there's a tendency to uh, uh, personality wise, or basically in the big, what's called the big traits of temperament, see some passing on of tendencies. And some of them may be in the form of, uh, I have a lot of impulsivity. So for example, kids who have ADHD, and ADHD runs in families, impulsivity is one of the main symptoms. People of your parents' age didn't necessarily get diagnosed with ADHD. We just, we didn't know we did, kids didn't get diagnosed. So I see lots of parents now whose kids are getting diagnosed with ADHD and have difficulties with impulsivity. And now the parent comes to me and says, hey, you know what? Um, Actually, that was me as a parent. So we're seeing a lot of like reverse generation diagnosis in adults who really have always had that, but never got a diagnosis and never really got help in that sense with it. Um, So things like impulsivity, as I said, um, you're bringing, you brought up the world, the word willpower. Um, You know, willpower is finite. It's sort of like a muscle, like that you learn to exercise and make stronger, but it can't last forever. If you're battling an addiction with willpower, you're even if you have pretty decent willpower, you're probably gonna lose if it's a physiologic addiction. You need more help than just somebody saying, exercise your willpower, even if you have decent willpower. Um, But all of these things do play into the likelihood of falling into this rabbit hole. So were you parented with, hey, we have to teach you as a kid. Sometimes you have to tolerate frustration. Sometimes you have to build some coping tools to manage your negative affect, your, your your bad mood, your frustrated mood, your angry, your I wanna do it now, but I'm saying, no, you can't do it now. What do you do to self-soothe yourself in the moment? Those are really important skills that parents hopefully teach their children that do help them as adults. And if they're not taught at all or worse yet, the opposite is modeled. You know, the mom who's like, I. I saw it. I must buy it now. My, my husband just said, please, we can't afford to buy that too bad. I bought it. You know, um, if you, if, if you have witnessed a lot of, um, you know, the same behaviors, obviously that not from a physiologic or biologic standpoint, but that just is modeling of that kind of behavior. And that can be a problem. But we also know that things like childhood trauma, um, can set a person up for having a harder time with potentially compulsive behavior that you know their their need to self soothe is so great if it you know especially someone who has not been in therapy and really understood and figured out how to have good coping tools to manage past trauma they may be at even greater risk for finding on their own, these random ways to self-soothe, which of which compulsive behavior is, can be a big one.
0: Yeah. I had an interesting conversation with, um, a professor of, of, at the X university in the UK. And, uh, she was a specialist when it comes to the psychology uh, of addiction and drugs. And she mentioned that a large majority of, of drug addicts do have some sort of past trauma. And it is sad that, uh, when they are younger, if they are, whereas they experience the trauma, we see them in a light, which is really empathetic. Like we feel a lot, very sorry for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have a great deal of like, um, I suppose, yeah, empathy for them, but as they grow older, then we see them less in this light and no longer as children, which are suffering from trauma. And we see them as drug addicts who are responsible for their own outcome and their own situation. And that was something that really stuck with me and it kind of reflects yeah. what you were saying there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's true. And I think it's even worse than that. We, we see them as um, not only responsible, but, and able to just, you know, stop, but we, we don't really see it in an illness model. And we, we see it more as um, not only something that they do, but something sort of grotesque and, mm. um, and repulsive. And so um, it's hard to, to see it in the medical model that it really deserves to be in you know addiction is an illness and the thing about the illness and this is true really of also compulsive behaviors which by the way are often some offshoot of the obsessive compulsive disorder family so a lot of people don't know that somebody in their family had OCD that just it was not spoken about. It was also seen as shameful as most mental illness is, is, has been seen for you know decades and decades. And so without that information, you don't necessarily know that this is your, your propensity and that it's an illness. And once you start engaging in this behavior, even if we're not talking about alcohol or drugs, we're talking about compulsive behaviors, there's a phenomenon called the um, kinetic effect, which basically says that... Um, Neural circuitry that hasn't been used very much at all, right? This tends to be very weak because it hasn't been used. It hasn't been activated. So it's kind of like a country road. And that once you start using that neural circuitry, for example, let's say the neural circuitry involved in gambling, and on top of that, you get the good feeling from the high of I won, woo, Um, that causes you to release the neurotransmitter dopamine which is the neurotransmitter of reward. So now this neural circuitry is getting used and it's being bathed in an activating neurotransmitter. It it grows stronger and stronger and stronger. And so what was a country road becomes a superhighway, easily traversed, always the road to go to. And, and that, I mean, basically we're we're talking about the neuroscience of, of mental illness. And that is really the lens through which people really need to understand these kinds of behaviors and these kinds of addictions, because it's, it's not, it it, it really is not a choice at that point. <laughs> it's not a choice and it's not a choice that someone can unmake. Um, they really, they need treatment. They need help.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I suppose that on that, that subject to some extent, I mean, I could keep talking for hours about this topic, but I think the thing that we really uh, should leave our listeners with is some actionable advice. So on that topic, what can our listeners do if they feel they have an addiction? And let's stick to the the theme of social media. Say if someone Mm -hmm. does feel like they have Mm an addiction to social media, how can they remedy that?
1: So the most important thing is to really acknowledge full out and very consciously to yourself that you do have a problem. Um, if you're not fully honest with yourself about it, you, you, you can't really address the quitting. So most people don't actually even get to there. Um, and then it also can be really helpful once you've acknowledged that to tell somebody else who's close to you that you really have a problem because other people around you can help you to stay honest with yourself and to keep honest with yourself as you make a plan. Um, I would suggest that if you've acknowledged this, that you try to understand what might be driving this behavior. So, do you struggle with depression? Do you struggle with anxiety? Is there some trauma that you suffered in your past? Uh, um, is there? Is this what you saw modeled at home? Um, trying to get to the root of what may be driving some of these things and understanding them, and if need be, treating them, is very important because you know you can. If this is the superficial. Uh, addiction reaction to other things. If you, you might initially be able to treat this, but you'll keep coming back if the underlying problem hasn't been addressed as well. Um, And then really you're going to do what kind of anybody like me would help you do in my office, which is basically to uh, do some form of either abstinence or uh, modified use. And that depends on how difficult it is for you to go to modified use. But basically, you have to make a written down schedule for yourself. I will check in in the morning. I will look at my phone for 10 minutes. At 10 minutes, the timer will go off and I will stop. And I will not look at my phone again till, you know, 6 p.m. where I will do that now. When you get the urge, which you will in like one hour after you've looked or less, um, then at least you try to say to yourself, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at 6 p.m. Um, some people may just not be able to do this. Then you might make the intervals shorter to start with. You know, I'm going to look at noon. And you're gonna to have to find other methods of tolerating the discomfort. So maybe that's instead, I'm gonna do some slow paced deep breathing. I'm gonna practice some muscle relaxation. I'm gonna go for an aerobic run. Doing something that is a coping tool for the anxiety that's being generated by not checking. Something that will relax your body and relax your mind and let you wait. If ultimately, you know, obviously, ideally you could just stay there. Some people really, you know, if you can't do it, you know, you may be a person who, for example, should not have an Instagram account. Like there should just be one thing that you check in with and not five. Um, It really depends on, you know, how severe the situation is, But I would say for a lot of people, you know, just taking a, for example, several week break, not looking at all, um, can reset them, which is great. Uh, But then you really should still, if you know this is your susceptibility, you should still have limits or you'll just grow right back to where you probably were again.
0: I think that, yeah, that sounds like sound advice. I really like the, the coping mechanisms that you talked about. I'm someone that loves running. So yeah, definitely. Sometimes uh, I, I found running to be very therapeutic. um And it helps with all sorts of things. If I'm ever feeling down, stressed, anxious, or anything, then a uh, run usually helps. <laughs> so yes. That, well, there's a lot
1: of data to back that up. That, that
0: yeah.
1: is 100% true.
0: And oh, I that can it. definitely be
1: helpful. Yeah.
0: Now, like I said, I could talk to you for hours about all of this. <laughs> I've really enjoyed everything we've talked about and I've, I've learned so much and, uh, you're another follower for your podcast here. I'm a, I'm a big fan, um, after listening. Uh, so on that topic, if people do want to check out your work or keep up to yes. date with you, how can yes. they do that?
1: So for the podcast, you know, it's, it's of course available on, on Apple, on iHeartMedia, Media. Um, it's, uh, I, am affiliated with Seneca women, a uh, uh, women's organization that, you know, is putting out sort of good for your health, good for your mind, uh, content. And if they'd like to write me a question and I, I do, I do answer them. Absolutely. So they'd like to write me a question. They can write to how can I help at SenecaWomen.com, And I'm happy to do that, but they could also tweet me at Dr. Gail salts. And, um, I'm also you know, people who are reaching out directly in that way. I'm I'm answering their questions as well. And Instagram at Dr. Gail Salts, And um, they can find me on my website, uh, www.drgailsalz.com.
0: Fantastic. Dr. Gail Saltz, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Growing a company has many hurdles, from securing funding to expanding your business capabilities to ranking better on search, each business challenge is uniquely complex. The solution to these challenges is growth-focused digital PR and marketing, and that's where our sponsor Publicize comes in. Publicize sets itself apart from traditional PR companies. It does not charge large retainers or churns out press releases, whether you've got a newsworthy announcement or not. Publicize builds on your business's online presence and gets high-quality PR and media coverage for startups and entrepreneurs who are priced out of a broken PR industry. And for a limited time only exclusive to, to Bite back listeners, you can receive a social media assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. That's publicize.co slash BBB. This is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you'll find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing what you have to say. So leave us a review on iTunes or on any other podcasting platform to let us know what you think. You can also reach out on Twitter at, at The Sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.